Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. This is Brother Shamari. This is Groundings. This is Word On Democracy, and we're broadcasting live from the White House. I have the privilege now of speaking with Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Greetings. Welcome to Word. How are you? Afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Let's talk Department of Transportation. Hmm. What does that mean? In general, what comes under your purview? So there's really three things we do. We build, we run, and we protect. And what I mean by that is we're building infrastructure across the country through the Biden infrastructure plan. We got about half of that $1.2 trillion that he put together that's part of transportation. So we're at work getting that money out to build better roads, bridges, uh, airports, ports, trains, transit, you name it. That's part one. Part two is is those parts of the transportation systems we run. We actually don't run most of America's transportation. The highways are run by the states. Transit is run usually by the cities. But we do operate the air traffic control system, which is a very important responsibility that, that we're investing a lot in right now. And then the third is, is we protect. And what I mean by that is we have and enforce rules and regulations that protect everybody who comes into contact with our transportation systems. That might mean a worker on a railroad who is protected by a regulation that we have that says the, the safety equipment they need to have. It could be a homeowner in a black neighborhood that has been programmed for a highway to come through it, who has civil rights protections uh, that could help redirect the, the course of that project. Uh, it could be an airline passenger. Uh, it could be a rider on the subway. A- anybody who is vulnerable. We have a responsibility to protect them. So that's how I think about our job. We have about 55,000 people. We're, we're all across the country and we touch every form of transportation you can think of for people or for goods. Are you also involved in the shipping aspects and the flying aspects of transportation? Absolutely. Yeah. Cargoes as well as people. So when we had all of those supply chain issues right. a couple of years ago, we had all those ships waiting their turn at yeah. the West Coast. Ports. That was we your got, fault. Uh, well, <laughs> if you listen to some people, they would have said it was. Uh, of course, the reason it happened was what COVID did right. to our uh, our systems. But we didn't let that stop us mm-hmm. from getting involved, getting very creative. We created pop-up container yards, funded port improvements, which is one of the reasons why by the time we got to end of 2021, it was an all-time record high in terms of the, the goods that move through America's yeah. ports. Now, credit first and foremost should go to the workers in those ports. Uh, but we're proud to have played a part in, in helping make that happen too. So, yeah, anything you can think of that moves, we probably have something to do with it. I feel you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like transportation, when you think about it in all of its forms, particularly distribution and economics, is an unsung area of economic possibility and growth. Like people don't mm-hmm. account for the the billions, if not trillions of dollars in economic and employment opportunities that are going on in America right now because transportation is restructuring itself. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And it's one of the reasons we're being very intentional about making sure, for example, DBEs, Black-owned businesses get a, a chance at some of these business opportunities that are coming. We're building half a trillion dollars worth of roads, airports, you name it. And there are jobs from you know the construction jobs, obviously, uh, to you know accounting jobs, uh, uh, restaurant jobs. I mean, all every part of our economy you could think of. When you undertake that much activity, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to make a difference. And if we are intentional about making sure more of that opportunity reaches workers and businesses that were left out in the past, then I believe we could actually help to materially reduce 
wealth gaps in this country through that economic potential. We've already seen since just since President Biden came in, or actually from 2019 to 2022, that three-year stretch, we've seen the black-white wealth gap shrink by 19%. Obviously, a long way to go. That means 81% right. of it's still there. But I think we can improve and accelerate that process through this work. That's part one. Part two, in addition to you know whether or not you have anything to do with the work of building and, and designing the, these pieces of transportation infrastructure... There's the simple fact that if you are well served by good transportation, your economic opportunities mm -hmm. increase. And the other side of the coin is also true. If your neighborhood is left out, if the transit doesn't stop in your area, if you do not have access, if you don't own a car and you've got a job that's a long way from where you work and you are one unreliable cousin with mm -hmm. an unreliable car away from being right. late and losing your job, that shrinks your opportunity, which is part of why we're trying to make sure the places we do these investments are some of the places that were left out in the past. How are you all translating that, um, particularly into the field of education, um, certification, professional preparedness? If this is the way things are going, how do those entities and institutions get the memo? Because I don't see our young people in particular being prepared mm -hmm. for the economy and the world that's coming. And I don't really see in Philadelphia, at least, our unions upskilling and mm -hmm. reskilling in order to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that you're talking about. I think you're right that, that our education needs to be more focused mm -hmm. on these opportunities. And by the way, we're talking about you know equipment operators right now can make okay. six figures. So, we're talking about good paying jobs. And yet we have, I think, neglected the trades, you know, the, 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 all the, all the way down to things like shop not being taught in, mm -hmm. in, in junior high the way it used to be. Uh, I think we need to redirect on that. And I think a lot of places are, and, and we're partnering with them to create that. I've been to, I went to a high school in, in, uh, in, uh, New York, Transit Tech High School is called where the students who were there, uh, get to work on old MTA cars to mm -hmm. learn the trades so that they have a head start. Uh, in fact, I think they're at least two years uh, ahead uh, on apprenticeships when they graduate from that high school. I saw a similar program in Houston, uh, something like that. In, in I was just in uh, Vancouver, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, same thing. The, mm -hmm. their, their high school system invests in these kids getting into the trades. Maybe they'll go to college. Maybe they won't go to college. Either way, they'll have a chance to get these good paying jobs uh, that have to do with the trades. Now, the other part you mentioned that's so important is the labor unions and working with unions who are at the absolute forefront of preparing our workforce for all this work and making sure that those doors are open to everybody. And some of the best locals I've seen are, are doing this more and more. They need to be. And I'm, I'm, I'm calling on them to do more of this. We also have to tear down barriers that have kept people from being able to work in these jobs. And uh, I'll give you an example from the other side of Pennsylvania that, that I saw that I was very impressed with. Uh, the first lady and I went to uh, Pittsburgh. There's a big billion dollar terminal project there. Part of what they're doing there is they make sure there is a childcare center on site at the construction site because they know there are a lot of uh, construction workers and you know, working parents, a lot of working women who would never have a chance to work on that right. project if they didn't have access to that kind of childcare. So these are the kinds of things we need to be doing more of so that, uh, oh, and I'll mention one other thing that we're doing more of now, which is local hire policies oh, okay. that encourage the people working on the project to actually come from the neighborhood where the project is being done because you hear so many stories from people who say, wait a minute, okay, you're finally putting in a subway station or you're finally fixing the road where I come from, 
but nobody working on this project looks like they're from anywhere near this neighborhood. You must right? be from Philly. Uh, I hear this a lot. Yeah, I mean, everywhere <laughs> I go, right here in Washington, D.C., right. we, we, we worked on a project with local hire. So, we're encouraging more of that local hiring and it works and it yeah. puts that wealth back into the community. What does the encouragement look like? So, I, I want a stronger word than encouraging because I come from Philadelphia. Our school systems are not preparing our children to take advantage of the opportunities as you just talked about. Our unions in many ways are still somewhat discriminatory, mm -hmm. even though they are going to be essential to the election bid. Mm -hmm. How do we leverage the opportunities that yeah. you're talking about to make those players respond to your vision? Yeah. So to be clear, I'm not just talking about moral support. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about money and I'm talking about policy. On the money side, it's making clear that there are funds for these kinds of workforce mm -hmm. efforts. Uh, on the policy side, we changed the policy to make local hire preferences possible. They were not even allowed before. Uh, and uh, we know that that's a really important part of, of, of how this gets done. And, and of course, that cycles back to the money because a lot of the opportunity follows the money. People's minds open when there's a pot right. of gold right. Uh, available, right? So, we're very intentional about this. Now, I'm not saying we dictate all of this, um, but there's a lot we can do mm -hmm. with that funding and that policy that just wasn't possible before President Biden got here. Okay. So, I'm wondering, as our cities are transforming into smart cities, yeah. uh, as I'm watching, say, Amazon vehicles and, and mm. they're going to become wired and AI mm -hmm. and all that, how does that impact transportation? Because I believe that that's an area of transportation that most people might not think about. But as uh, it's our SEPTA fleet becomes more and mm -hmm. more um, electronically driven, yeah, surveillance monitoring, things of that nature. What's the impact on transportation and opportunity vis-a-vis -vis that direction? So, there's no question that we're at the outset of an era of major technological change in transportation. And sometimes it's hard to predict what that looks like. I mean, the, the, the piece of technology that changed transportation the most in the last decade turned out to be the smartphone. Mm -hmm. You think about it, it changes wow. how you navigate, yep. how you board an airplane, yep. uh, how you get a subway ticket. I mean, all those things changed. And that's not even a part of a vehicle. Exactly. Right? So, you can never totally predict these things, but what we see right now is in the vehicles, more and more technology. And the number one thing we care about, of course, is safety. Mm -hmm. And it can cut both ways. So, for example, newer cars tend to have this technology that nudges you back in the lane. It's beyond right. what we think of as cruise yes. control, right? But if it, so that can make you much safer. But if you lean on it too much, you have the opposite effect. Which is why it's also important for these technologies to disengage if it thinks you're not, you don't have your hands on the wheel anymore. So we're trying to make sure that we push that kind of uh, that kind of expectation. But to me, the, the number one thing here is safety. We lose forty thousand people a year in this. It's the same as gun violence, the same numbers as gun violence, but we talk about it much less in terms of the number of people we lose to roadway deaths, crashes, pedestrians, bicyclists, passengers. And by the way, this is one of many areas where there are big racial disparities. Uh, whether we're talking about right. pedestrians uh, or whether we're talking about car crashes. Now, part of that has to do with the roads and we're right. being intentional about that. Roosevelt Boulevard, I don't need to tell you, that is <laughs> one of the highest crash yes. corridors in the country. Mm -hmm. But we're bringing money for what will be a say, the $78 million that we're putting into that will make for safer streets. Right. Because it turns out a lot of what matters is how the street is designed. Is there a safe way for pedestrians to get across? Is there a way to narrow the, the, the slow the traffic just a little bit? I know so the idea, bicycle lanes come under your jurisdiction too. <laughs> they can, yeah, yeah. Okay. And look, bike lane, people talk about bike lanes like it's this ornamental mm -hmm. kind of extra frill. 
the reason bike lanes matter is because people are less likely to get killed if they're riding a bicycle if there's a bike lane. I and mean, this is safety. Yes. This is life and death stuff. So we got to invest in that. But then the other part is what you're talking about, the technology and making sure that the technologies make us safer and not less safe. So what can we look forward to um, from you, from your office, something we haven't talked about today? Um, I'm just curious, your vision. What's the vision, like if you had a chance to dream yeah. outside of the box mm. for transportation, what would you what would you come up with? So look, there's really five things that we're about. Safety, equity, climate, jobs, and innovation. But only we only care about innovation if it makes the other four things mm. better. In other words, we're not interested in innovation just for its own sake. I might be as, as, a, as a nerd. Uh, but as a policymaker, it only matters to have an innovation if it's going to make us more safe or if it's mm -hmm. going to make something better for climate and that kind of thing. So, in terms of the vision for what excites me about the future, especially as I think about, you know, our, uh, we've got boy girl twins, two and a half mm -hmm. years old. I try to think about how their experience of our transportation systems, when they're old enough to care, which won't be that long, right. how that's different from what we've inherited. And I want to make sure it's safer. I want to make sure it's greener. We've got to make sure it's greener because transportation is actually the number one part of our economy contributing right. greenhouse pollution. And I want to make sure it's more equitable that, 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 that they're inheriting from us a system, systems that take better care of people. And sometimes that's this newer technological uh, piece. Sometimes it's things that, we, that are tried and true, but we haven't funded right. them enough. Take SEPTA. So, our FDA administrator was just with the mayor announcing uh, enough funding to buy 200 new rail cars for SEPTA. Right. Uh, it's going to be more than $300 million. Those rail cars are not cheap. But when you do that, that means that one of our most tried and true ways of affordably getting people around, which is transit, mm -hmm. gets better. It becomes more reliable. They can run more frequency because they have more cars and the cars are more up to date. And it also means they're safer. Back, I know it's not it doesn't sizzle. Like right, it may not right. be glamorous to talk about SEPTA or to talk about. It doesn't sizzle, um, but it matters. It really matters. I even think it matters for things that are a little bit beyond transportation, like housing. And what I mean by that is housing affordability is partly a question of whether the housing that is affordable is connected to where your work is. Mm -hmm. Right? We have so many people who live somewhere they can't afford so that they can get to work. Or they live impossibly far away from work and never get to see their kids. Because it's the only place they can afford. Part of how we solve that without moving, without being able to change geography is to change the way you experience getting from where you live to where you work. Because we experience commutes. We don't experience them actually in terms of miles. We experience them in terms of minutes. How many minutes of your life does it take to get from where you are to where you need to be? So, my last question for you. Um, oftentimes, a question would be, who gets what? But I'm wondering in this framework, how do you determine where gets what? Yeah. Like what's the decision-making framework you're using to determine what geographic places are going to benefit from yeah. what you're doing? Well, to play with your question a little bit, I think the where and the who are intimately connected, right? We're not just looking at the lines on a map. When we're figuring out what are the places to target these investments to, we're thinking very much about who lives there. Mm -hmm. Part of the whole idea of the President's Justice 40 initiative, for example, this, this promise that 40% of the clean investments of this administration, at least, are going to go to places that have been overbur uh, overburdened and underserved, is a recognition that we have a moral responsibility and a policy responsibility to, to target these resources where they're going to make the biggest difference. 
The other thing is we're trying to look where the problems are, right? It's not a coincidence that some of this funding finds its way to Roosevelt Boulevard. Mm -hmm. A lot of this funding goes to Roosevelt Boulevard. It's not the only busy road like it in the country, but it's one of the ones where we know there is a lot of need and where there's been a lot of heartbreak because of the crashes that right. happened there. Uh, we know that a lot of older legacy systems like SEPTA um, have more of a need than the ones that just got up and running. So, right. we take that into account when these funds are going out. We want to make sure the dollars are going to where they're going to make the biggest difference for the most people. Uh, and but, but to be clear, that's taken at large. It doesn't right. mean we only go to places with a lot of people. We're, okay. we're doing grants in towns of 2,000 people, but they need and deserve funding, just as we are some of the biggest cities in the country. And look, we're very aware of our inheritance here, which is that transportation funding, especially during the period when most of our systems were built as we today know them, 50s, 60s, 70s, were not built with a lot of attention right. to those who had been excluded. And we know that if federal dollars created some of those problems, then federal dollars can and should help. It's why we're doing I-375 in Detroit. It cuts like a gash mm -hmm. through a part of the community. When they built it, it wiped out neighborhoods like, like Black Bottom and Paradise Valley. So, we're bringing the funding to elevate that back to be a boulevard again. It, it, the traffic will be fine. The cars will right. still be able to move, but the neighborhood will be connected again. We're doing that around the country because we know that federal dollars contributed to a problem. And now we know those federal dollars can contributed to the solution. So that's that's the best answer I can give you right. on how we figure out because we can't do everything. And right. even even with this huge package President Biden got through, you know, we, we still have probably ten dollars worth of asks for every one dollar we can get right. out there. But we're doing more than we ever have, at least since I've been alive. That's what makes this job so compelling. I appreciate that. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 